0: Thank you very much, uh, Ms. Jessica Hall and Mr. McCullough. A beautiful song holding on to you. One of the words she said was uh, walking the path you have shown me. And she reminds me of James 4, verse 4. Uh, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Very beautiful message. A warm greetings to all our brethren around the world. Happy Sabbath, and uh, welcome to all our guests. We have, as Mr. League mentioned, 258 here today, and probably another dozen online on the telephone, so probably about 270. Yesterday, we experienced cold temperatures, but uh, sunny skies, beautiful Carolina blue sky, as they call it. Uh, Last night, the temperature went down to some places around 17 or 18 but thankfully it's up to around 40 degrees now, so we're looking forward to a warmer night tonight. Although I understand there was a 30% chance of rain and uh, showers and maybe even uh, snow tonight, so we need to pray for a dry roads so that we can all get home safely after the fun show tonight. Tonight we do have the annual fun show after uh, an enjoyable covered dish meal. Uh, We appreciate the work and preparation of all those who are contributing the culinary treats and the musical and entertaining treats that we'll enjoy as well. A few weeks ago, I gave a sermon titled, The 2013 Challenge. We briefly reviewed the significant events in 2012, the world events, and also the encouraging growth in God's work in 2012. And we know that we will all face prophetic events and trends that will affect nations, peoples, God's church, and all of us individually in 2013. We will experience to a certain degree in our own lives the contrast of success on the one hand and perhaps failures on the other. Years ago, ABC Wide World of Sports introduced its programs with this announcement. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sports, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat. The human drama of athletic competition. This is ABC's wide world of sports. We all know we have ups and downs, and the agony of defeat showed a skier going off the ski lift and crashing uh, into the railing on below. The agony of defeat. The question is, how can we face the problems and the trials and the challenges of life? Will we overcome in 2013? Or will we become Laodicean or decline spiritually in 2013? The Passover for baptized members is Sunday night, March twenty fourth, 2013. We all look forward to that night remembering the awesome sacrifice of the Lamb of God, our Savior, who shed His blood for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to God. He also shed His blood for the sins of the world. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's in John, the first chapter. Part of our preparation for that night and the Days of Unleavened Bread is to examine ourselves. Last week we heard Dr. Meredith's sermon, Who Will God Protect? Because we know there is a great tribulation coming. He challenged us to examine ourselves in four major areas of our lives. One, Sabbath observance. Two, tithes and offerings. Three, judging and condemning. And four, respect for the ministry and remaining humble. He stated that God is watching. And building a faithful team. In preparation for the Passover, we need to examine ourselves, which is not all that comfortable every year. It takes courage, it takes determination to meet the challenges of 2013 and beyond. I know every year I have to pray for the courage to ask my wife, you know, honey, if there's one thing you want changed in me. What would it be? And she doesn't hesitate. She'll just go ahead with one, two, three, and I say, No, hon, I just asked for one thing to change. But it does take courage. Today's sermon, we want to continue the strategies to meet the 2013 challenge. And as we face governmental and society challenges in the world and changes, we need to produce spiritual fruit. We need to work hard. As Jesus said in John 9 and verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no one can work. So we need a productive 2013, and we need to bear much fruit, as Jesus said in John 15:8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So will you be my disciples. So we need to be productive. We need to be overcomers. Let's turn to Revelation, the third chapter, Revelation 3. I know you're very familiar with this. But he tells us in Revelation 3 and verse 12 to the Philadelphians, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. He doesn't say just because you're in the Philadelphian era... You're going to have the benefits that I'm about to name. It's only the overcomers. I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem which comes down out from heaven, out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So very sobering. Have we heard? Are we hearing? Are we understanding, comprehending the message that Christ is giving us here in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3? We need to understand the message to all seven churches, but particularly we need to be overcomers. Seven times in these letters to the seven churches in Revelation, he says, "...to him who overcomes, or he who overcomes." The title of the sermon today is Overcoming in 2013, following up on the last sermon titled The 2013 Challenge. In the previous sermon, I reviewed major events in the world and in God's work, and we also noted some predictions, some challenges, and schedule events for 2013. What challenges will we face in 2013? Dr. Douglas Gwinnale, in a current ministerial bulletin for January, February 2013, has a section called Around the Table with the CAD director, and he titled this Challenges in 2013. Dear fellow ministers, he writes, the coming year, 2013, looks like it will be a year of challenges and potentially dramatic developments on the world scene. However, when we are called to the ministry, we also face many challenges that Satan can use to damage and destroy the role that we have been given. And he goes on to mention some of those challenges to the ministry and exhorts us as ministers to face those challenges and to be strong spiritually in 2013. Turn to Second Timothy, the third chapter. We know the challenges and the dangers the Apostle Paul warned us about, not only for his time, but he writes in the last days, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, But know this, that in the last days, and we are in those days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, vanity of vanities. I believe it's uh, Psalm 39, 5, is it, where it says, Man in his best state is altogether vanity. The King James and the New King James is like a wisp of wind. Man in his best state is altogether vanity, the psalmist wrote. For men shall be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. And isn't that always in the news? Even fraud at high levels of corporate CEOs. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. We're recapturing true values of family life because we're teaching children and teaching ourselves the 10 commandments unthankful unholy unloving unforgiving slanderers without self control self control one of the other synonyms of that is discipline we have we discipline ourselves to do what is right because we have human nature that drags us down and we want to do we don't want to do what is right unless As the Apostle Paul said, that he, in his mind, served the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure. We're in a hedonistic society rather than lovers of God. Are you a lover of God? Having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people, turn away. So that's one of the challenges that we face, the whole panorama of human nature, and it continues to become more unrighteous over a period of time. As I pointed out in the last sermon, our Western nations are close to crossing the line where the majority of their population are unrighteous. National leaders call sexual immorality love. But God calls such behaviors abomination, and God is the one who defines love. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. A November 2012 CBS poll gave the following results on the subject of same-sex marriage. There is a generational divide on this issue. I'm quoting, young Americans, those ages 18 to 29 are some of the strongest proponents of allowing gay and lesbian couples to marry. Seventy-two percent of them support it, as do a majority, albeit a smaller one, of Americans ages 30 through 44. However, support for same-sex marriage drops to 44 percent among those who are age 45 to 64, and even further to just a third of Americans age 65 and over in fact 56% of seniors oppose permitting oppose permitting same-sex couples to marry but here is a younger generation 72% approve of abomination as our society gets deeper and deeper into unrighteousness we will as we heard in the sermonette experience the just and righteous decisions of god because as a man sows so shall he reap as we read in galatians the 6th chapter He that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. As we watch society, we are entering those perilous times. We need to overcome. We need to change. We need to meet the challenges and to be constantly aware of Satan's attack. What do we need to overcome? Let's turn to 1 John 2, verse 15. One of the major lessons of the days of unleavened bread is that we need to put out the leaven of malice and wickedness, that is, human nature, and put in the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. God's nature has to replace human nature. We all have human nature, and we struggle with it, just as the Apostle Paul described there in Romans, the sixth chapter, and the seventh chapter. But he says in 1 John 2 15, do not love the world, that is, He defines what world is here, that is, the ways of the world. God so loved the world, meaning the people in the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, not the ways of the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and there's that drive, that human nature, the lust of the eyes. Pornography is big on the internet. And the lust, and the lust of it, and the pride of life, that self-centeredness, that vanity, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So plainly, we need to overcome the influence of an immoral and licentious society plainly we need to overcome the lust of the flesh selfishness and vanity in the previous verses the apostle john shows how to overcome satan and we know the three basic enemies to simply stated self satan and society the three s's that's what we must overcome and we have been overcoming it and the apostle john says to the young men in his day that they had overcome the wicked one. How? Verse 13, in the middle of the verse. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong. You've got real strong apps. You've got muscles that really are bound. No. You are strong because the Word of God abides in you. They were spiritually strong. And we have young men in our congregation that are spiritually strong. Young men and women who are spiritually strong in our congregation and around the world. And you have overcome the wicked one. So we know that we must overcome Satan, self, and society. Mr. Mario Hernandez described... That challenge for 2013 in the Sermon, The Spirit World. He gave that sermon on January 12, 2013. So the challenge of overcoming Satan. And God gives us that promise resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's in James, the fourth chapter. So God gives us that promise. But we must be strong spiritually. We must overcome. Why? Because Christ tells us to, seven times, just in Revelation 2 and 3. Why must we overcome? Because it's the process by which we grow spiritually. We're replacing human nature with God's loving divine nature. And why must we overcome? Because when we fully overcome, we inherit all things in God's kingdom. That's Revelation 21, verse 7. We'll come back to that later. But now, how must we overcome? What are the strategies and the keys for overcoming? You've heard many sermons on that, but it's a good time to review that as we prepare for the Passover and the days of unleavened bread. And how can we meet the challenges of 2013? In the remainder of the sermon, let's consider five strategies. We discussed the first two in the last sermon. Strategy number one is to plan ahead. Let's turn to Proverbs the 22nd chapter, Proverbs 22. You plan ahead by having calendars, and uh, I showed you last time our corporate calendar. Dr. Meredith sent out with the December co-worker letter a calendar, the uh, Living Church of God Annual Festivals 2013. So I hope you all have this calendar showing all of the dates for the Passover, Unleavened Bread, March 26th through April 1st, Pentecost, May 19th, Feast of Trumpets, September 5th, the Day of Atonement, September 14th, Feast of Tabernacles, September 19th through 25th, and the Last Great Day, September 26th. So I hope you have this, but having a calendar does help us to plan ahead. And we have to see the possible obstacles that lie ahead and how to plan for them. So in Proverbs 22, verse 3, we read, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And that's also repeated in Proverbs 27 and verse 12. In fact, uh, as we have a church calendar, even in, I was surprised to find in our church bulletin today, uh, that we have a February uh, calendar with the church activities listed in today's calendar. So we plan ahead. We plan ahead wisely. And as you heard in the announcement, there uh, will be a uh, special festival in Greenville, South Carolina, March 29th through April 1st. Uh, my wife and I were down there for the first part last year, just very enjoyable. Uh, some of you may want to go there. We have, of course, the uh, Night to be Much Observed here at our headquarters building here in Charlotte. So you have those options and planning ahead for the festivals. And Kingston, New York is the Northeast Family Weekend and, of course, the L4T. And then for our youth, as you plan ahead, we have the Adventure Trip 2013 at Yosemite National Park in California, July 9th through the 18th. And then the regular LYC Teen Camp, Camp Lazarus, July 28th through August 11th. And then, of course, coming up, just a week from tomorrow, as we see in the church bulletin and the announcements, Dr. Meredith will be giving the special online Tomorrow's World Presents, What's Ahead for America and the World. That'll be a week from tomorrow, 3.30 o'clock. And how many of you have actually registered for that online presentation. Okay, you see the hands. Hmm. Looks like about only 30% of you. So uh, the rest of you who have computers and online uh, activities, some of you don't, we understand that, but those of you who do, you want to register for Dr. Meredith's presentation. So number one is plan ahead. Let's turn to uh, Proverbs, the third chapter, Proverbs 3, which is a living law and one that I hope all of you have experienced in your own life. It's a part of your very nature. It's a part of your character. I remember uh, was the LYC camp up in uh, Pickford, Michigan a few years ago when my wife and I were up there, and they had a a uh, Toastmaster, a topics session, and one of the questions asked the teenage campers was, "What is your favorite scripture?" And one of the girls said, "Proverbs 3, verse 5," which is one of my favorites. Of course, if you have your scripture memory cards, you probably memorized that already. Trust in the eternal with all your heart, because God rules supreme. He controls the universe. And so you can trust in Him. He knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for your family. Trust in the eternal with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Human beings have human reasoning. I was—I just had to uh, chuckle. I think it was a Charlotte Observer article recently about uh, the evolution of the hand. And the hand somehow evolved to draw a fist so it could protect itself. Now, how did the hand know that it needed to evolve in order to close a fist to protect itself? Pretty brilliant, that hand, to be able to know that it evolved for that purpose. That's that's your own understanding. Human reasoning is incredible. And lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Yes, in all your ways. As I say, I sometimes get a little... Impatient with my wife, and we were going out to go our shopping. So, well, let's let's pray about that first. So, yes, okay. We ask God to bless our shopping, and God blesses our shopping. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He shall direct your paths. So, number one is to plan ahead and to plan wisely. We realize that God has given us activities that are abundant, that are enjoyable. As he said in John 10:10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. They may have it more abundantly. We have times of stress, but we have times of abundant living as well if we're recapturing those true values. So plan for an abundant life in 2013 through Christ our Savior. That life, that abundant life, comes through a way of giving and of serving and of sharing, and many of you will be doing that this evening. We appreciate that. We thank all of you who are serving the covered dish meal this evening and the fun show. Thank you, all of you who serve every week with uh, ushering, with parking, with uh, security, uh, with the hall maintenance, with uh, food service, with the audiovisual, and many other ways. And again, thank you in advance for the culinary contributions for this evening's Italian-themed meal. I appreciate that. So number one, plan ahead wisely. Pray that God will guide your plans for the remainder of 2013. Strategy number two is to learn from the lessons of 2012. As I told you in the last sermon, My little week at a glance in which I write down lessons. And have you written down any lessons for 2013 yet? I told you my first lesson was review 2012 lessons. And then three, lesson number two is, well, no. Uh, Lesson number three, hmm. Uh, no. Uh, Well, I'll share this one with Uh, one taco only is one of the lessons. (laughs) I'll share that one. So, what lessons have you learned in 2012? What lessons will you learn in 2013? What lessons are now a part of your eternal character? Are you a loving person? Are you a person of faith? Are you a thoughtful person who's concerned for others. Have you totally dedicated your life to God and Christ? That's a part of your very nature. Some of you haven't come to that point yet, but that's the process where you come committed and you begin to display those commitments every day as a part of your nature. Have you always learned, have you all, all learned to see the big picture We need that big picture because we're challenged, tempted, we are insulted from time to time, we are offended. We need to see the big picture of God's coming kingdom, the good news of that kingdom. Let's turn to Daniel, the fifth chapter. In the last sermon, we discussed the lessons that Belshazzar, king of Babylon, should have learned. He did not apply the lessons he knew from King Nebuchadnezzar's experience. Daniel, the fifth chapter. I won't read the whole section since I covered it last time, but I'll just reemphasize that one point where Daniel is telling the king, Daniel 5, verse 22, But you, his son, that his grandson or his descendant, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, Although you knew all this, you knew that King Nebuchadnezzar was like a beast for seven years in the field until he learned the lesson that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. You knew this, Belshazzar, and you didn't modify your behavior as a result of that particular lesson, and you should have. And as a result, the handwriting was on the wall, which you can read again at the last part of the chapter, that God had numbered his kingdom and finished it. And that very night, verse 30, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. He did not learn the lesson. In the Tomorrow's World magazine, January, February 2011, Dr. Douglas Winnale had an article, The handwriting is on the wall. In fact, that was the cover article for that January-February 2011 Tomorrow's World magazine. In the section, titled A Lesson from the Past, Dr. Winnell writes, while critics dismiss these accounts, that is, the fall of Babylon, as irrelevant to nations in the 21st century, more astute thinkers offer a different perspective. The Spanish philosopher George Santiana once said, quote, Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. In other words, if we fail to learn the lessons of history, we are bound to repeat the mistakes of history, writes Dr. Winnell. Social critic Oz Guinness put it this way, quote, A generation that fails to read the signs of the times may be forced to read the writing on the wall, end of quote. Writing five centuries after the fall of Babylon, the Apostle Paul said these events were important because all these things happened to them as examples, that they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come, First Corinthians ten eleven. He concludes the Bible clearly reveals that these events were recorded to teach us lessons so we can avoid making the same mistakes if we have eyes to see. What lessons have you learned? What lasting lessons have you learned? We had a sermon by that title, Learning Lessons, number 418, and then number 548, Prophecy and History, Learning the Lessons, and 677, uh, Lessons from America's Apostasy. You know that quote by George Santayana, when my wife and I and uh, ambassador students were there in Munich In 1984, on our tour on our way to uh, Israel, uh, we stopped at Dachau, outside of Munich. And we toured that Holocaust camp. You see all the little bunks that were there and the ovens. But the sign outside the Dachau was this very statement by Santayana. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. As Dr. Meredith pointed out last week, there is a great tribulation coming, even that will pale in comparison of the past with the greater tribulation that is coming. What lessons have you learned? Even through your trials and through your tests. Second Corinthians the twelfth chapter, Second Corinthians twelve, the Apostle Paul experienced many kinds of Temptations, trials, and suffering, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. He talked about the thorn in the flesh. We covered that last time, but I just want to reemphasize this one particular point where he said, concerning this thing, verse 8, 2 Corinthians 12, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it, the thorn in the flesh, might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, Paul writes, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Okay, do you have that attitude? Verse 10, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs in persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Some of us feel weak physically, maybe even spiritually. But the Apostle Paul says, Yes, you can overcome. Because when we are weak, then we are strong because we have the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit in us that we can overcome. So how can we overcome in 2013? Number two, learn the lessons from the past. Learn lessons daily. Trust Christ to bring you through your trials. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Strategy number three is to confess your sins and to forgive others. Turn to 1 John 1 and then verse 8. When was the last time you confessed any one of your sins? 1 John 1 and verse 8. I appreciated the anecdote that uh, Mr. Ronaldo Colon brought out in a sermonette a few weeks ago. How he was praying in the toy store and as a little boy, and this woman came along and said, uh, "Son, you, you, are you praying?" I said, "Yeah." Well, she said, "Well, you need to confess in church." And it was very humorous, but uh, no, God wants us to confess on our knees before His throne. So, First John one, and uh, very encouraging here, verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. How many people are deceived? Revelation 12.9, Satan has deceived the whole world. Have you been deceived? Are you deceived? I pray that God will not allow me to deceive myself. I pray that I will not be deceived by Satan. I pray that I will not be deceived by the world. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, on the other hand, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What an awesome promise that is. And how does He cleanse us from that? Verse 7, For if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, which we're doing today and will tonight. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We have to confess our sins. And you know the psalm of repentance, but let's turn back there to Psalm 51, the psalm of David. And David prayed not for justice because he knew that if he prayed for justice, he would be dead because of his sins. So what did he pray? Psalm 51 and verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. We know in Second Corinthians 1 that God is called what? The God of, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I keep praying for God's mercy and I hope you have too. I I mentioned before I was uh, in one of the Ambassador Corral presentations. We did the Gilbert and Sullivan uh, Mikado one time. I think it was the last time we ever did such a, a stage with all kinds of costumes. And in that particular program, it's, it's set in Japan, and it's in front of the Mikado. And the Mikado is about to judge um, the individuals. And uh, I was the part of Pubaugh. Pooh uh, was about to be uh, executed. And uh, I only remember one line I had in that play. And that was, Mercy for Pooh Mercy for Pooh As I play, Plead Before the Emperor. And of course, we have a greater than the Emperor. We have God the Father, who's the Father of Mercies. And David said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions. Have you done that? Or can you do that? Or we all have blind spots. All of us have some kind of a spiritual blind spot. We've got some character flaw. We just can't see it. Others see it. As I said, it's difficult to ask my wife every year. I should ask her more, more frequently, you know, what one thing should I change in my life? for i acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you you only have i sinned why because god made the commandment you shall not commit murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder so he sinned against god because god was the one who made the commandments yes he did sin against bathsheba he did sin against uriah but the greatest greater sin was against god who made the commandments and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. And so God is creating the great masterpiece of his creation, which is every one of us here, if we're yielded to it. We take a look at the awesome galaxies out there, and as astounding as those galaxies are, they do not come close to the beautiful, loving, godly character In some of you. And I hope all of you. As God promised through the apostle Peter. That he has given us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these promises you may be partakers of the divine nature. God's very nature. But he's creating a masterpiece in each one of us. And that's his character. So David prayed in verse 10. Create in me. A clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So we need to confess our sins, but we also need to forgive others. As we heard in the sermonette, that God has given us a scriptural record of forgiveness. And God forgave David. He did have to pay some penalties. But he didn't have to pay the extreme penalty. And in today's church bulletin, we have the comment from the CA director, the power of forgiveness. One important key, he writes, for working together smoothly with other people is the willingness and ability to forgive someone for words or actions that have hurt you. This is exactly what Christians must learn to do. Jesus taught that we must be ready and willing to forgive others who offend us or God will not forgive us, Matthew 6, verses 12 through 15. Well, let's just turn there briefly so that we get it with our own eyes because it's very important about this time of year that we don't go into the Passover holding grudges. You know, there's the old statement, Let go and let God. Let Him take care. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He tells us to pray for our enemies. So Matthew, the 6th chapter, verse 12, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What is your attitude as we approach the Passover? Matthew 5, just back over the page, in verse 44. Verse 43, you have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And what is the result? that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Are you doing that? Are you God's son or God's daughter? If you are, you're doing this. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And he says in verse 48, Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And it has to be perfect in unconditional love. He tells us again in Romans 5.5 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's given to us. All of our hearts need to be filled with that love, with God's Spirit, and to follow the instructions of Christ here. Strategy number three is to confess your sins and forgive others. Strategy number four, which I'm sure many of you have already done, is set goals for 2013. Key number one was to plan ahead. So you have a calendar, and you ask the question, what shall I accomplish in 2013? We will have a corporate budget meeting coming up this uh, Wednesday. Uh, The income has not been up to what we wish it would be, and we're going to have to face some realities. What is our income? What are our expenses? How can we economize? What can we do to be faithful stewards over God's work and His the income that God brings us through tithes and offerings and donations through co-workers and donors and through members? What are we going to accomplish in 2013? We have to have a plan for that. We already have plans. We just need the resources. Uh, to fulfill some of those plans, but we may have to adjust those plans based on limited resources. So what will you accomplish in 2013? You know, Calvin and Hobbes made New Year's resolutions. Many people make New Year's resolutions. And Calvin and Hobbes, Calvin is the precocious boy, for some of those who don't know it, and and, uh, Hobbes is this tiger who is the straight man with him, and they're walking through the snow. And so, Hobbes says to uh, Cal- Calvin, are you making any resolutions for the new year? Calvin says, nope. I want everything to stay the same as it was this year. And Hobbes says, everything? And Calvin says, right. This year was lousy, but at least it's familiar. I hate change. It's the key. It's too disruptive. When things are different, you have to think about the change and deal with it. I like things to stay the same so I can take everything for granted. Then he continues philosophizing, Besides, things keep changing for the worse the longer I live, the more complicated everything gets. I say, let's stop here before life gets any harder. From now on, no more change. So they just stand there in the snow for one frame, and and, then they're standing in the snow for another frame. And finally, Calvin says, I'm bored. Let's do something different. Some things never change, says Hobbes. So, yes, it's nice when uh, things are calm and we don't have to face challenges, but we have to set goals. And we know that 2 Peter 3.18 tells us we don't stay the same that we must continue to change and to be conformed to the image of Christ, it says in Romans 8, verse 29. But Second Peter 3.18, you know that. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We have to grow. for different types of goals I hope you've set, or at least you can think about them. One is financial areas. Have you examined your finances? I've got to be working on my income tax here soon and gathering all the materials. Let's turn to Proverbs 13. What principles are you living by and what type of financial goals, if any, do you have? Maybe your financial goal is, I just want to survive. But Christ says, you have little faith... God provides your every deed. Proverbs 13 and verse 11. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. There's another proverb, I don't have it marked. Uh, there is profit in all labor. And I found that sometimes I'll be, oh, well, I'll just clean out my drawer here and my uh, dresser, and I clean out the drawer. Voila. There's a gold coin or something. There's profit in all labor. Well, that doesn't happen all the time. But but something happens especially. I find profit in labor. He who gathers by labor will increase. And then uh, it tells us in the NIV, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. That's the NIV of Proverbs 13, verse 11. And so Dr. Meredith sent out the january fifteenth, twenty thirteen coworker letter. And I've encouraged you before, and I don't want you to raise your hands, but it's a telling point. How many of you responded to that coworker letter? When I say respond, Jesus said in John ten twenty seven, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Maybe some of you just get the letter and say, oh, that's very very interesting, very good, Dr. Meredith, appreciate that. But there's an envelope that goes along with it. And one of the tests for you spiritually is, are you responding to the shepherd? I would suggest, as I've suggested before that you send that envelope in, even if it's a, put a dollar in it, because it shows you are responding to Jesus Christ through that coworker letter. You say, well, I don't have that many finances. I don't have that much money. In fact, when Dr. Meredith gave the sermon last week about examining ourselves on tithes and offerings, you know, I, I don't have any... I have a business, and I haven't made a profit... And God says, you tithe on the increase, therefore, I don't have to tithe because I didn't make a profit in my business. Oh, what else did God say? You have robbed me in tithes and offerings? You can't afford one dollar in an offering? You know, I saw many years ago, and it was, of course, the Protestant uh, situation. It was one of those nativity scenes, but I, I had an uh, impression on my mind it was... Uh, you know, here's the Christ child, and here's a little boy with his lamb. And he's going back and forth. He's struggling. Do I want to give this lamb to the, to the Savior or to the Messiah here or not? And he's struggling. Finally, he gives this lamb, you know, to the Messiah. Some of us don't want to give up anything. We don't want to sacrifice anything. But brethren, if some of you are robbing God in offerings, you need to repent. And not reason around and say, well, I, I just don't have an income on which to tithe. The widow, who had only two mites, gave something. And Jesus said, commended her and said, she's given more than all the rich put together, basically. So, brethren, I hope that you will discipline yourself in terms of your financial goals. You'll be faithful stewards because you realize This is God's work. And you're tithing to God. You're giving offerings to God that make the good news of the gospel to go out to the world. And it's so encouraging. We have the comments that come up. Uh, Monica compiles uh, all these comments, and I read them in the announcements once in a while. I'll just read you this one from Kenya, from the Rift Valley in Kenya. The gospel is going out to the whole world. Here's a comment from a man from Nakuru, Rift Valley, Kenya. After careful reading the booklet, God's People Tithe, I I have now understood why it's important for me to tithe to God. This is because tithe opens the door for blessings. It also enables other people to receive the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless you for revealing the truth for me. I thank you a lot in Jesus' name. So again, the gospel is going out to the world. Here's a comment from Australia. I have just read your booklet, The Ten Commandments, and we heard in the sermonette that God's way is the way of righteousness. What a beautiful thing it was to read. I can't express in words what an eye-opener it was. I felt I have learned so much from that booklet, and I don't want to part with it. I intend reading one of the commandments each day for the rest of my life. Again, I thank you for all diligence in trying to teach people the real reason to live good lives. I know how sincere you are in trying to get the world to read and learn of God our Father and His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Many thanks for everything you do. I know God will bless you. And that's just one from Kenya, one from Australia, but we get them from many other nations around the world. And it's encouraging what your tithes and offerings and that of our donors and co-workers and members are producing because it's God's work. So pray for the ability to give. You set financial goals for 2013, pray for the ability to give. Years ago, uh, Mr. Armstrong talked about a survey that was made that how much more money would make you satisfied. Well, the average was, if I had 30% more income, I would be happy. Well, really? If you had 30%, then once you got the 30%, then you say, well, no, I need another 30% to make me happy. How about reducing your expenses by 30% and becoming happy, if that's possible? But uh, James 4, he says, You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. So it's not you're just asking to have uh, greater income. You're asking for the ability to give, not the ability to get, primarily. Remember, Jesus said to the rich man in Matthew 19, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. He gave him an invitation to be a full-time disciple of Christ, but it said he went away sad because he had many possessions. Many, some of you, have been faithful in your third tithe year, contributing to widows and the poor. The church has a biblical mandate to care for widows and the poor, and it's a biblical method that God has given. The church strives to be a good steward in that way. Many of you are helping the widows and the poor in your third tithe year, and many of you who've experienced can tell incredible blessings that have taken place in your third tithe year. My first tithe year, I flew nonstop for the first time from Los Angeles to New York in four hours and 17 minutes, nonstop. That was nineteen summer of 1963. And here we are 50 years later, and uh, it's still about the same time or less, four hours and 17 minutes. But I also got married my first tithe year. God gave me tremendous blessings. And I hope that you can share some of those that you've experienced with others. So set financial goals for 2013. Learn to economize. One of our members here uh, shops for these uh, discount stores. And she found a $500 suit for her son and paid $10. So she prays every time she goes shopping. And God blessed her at this. So you can economize. God can bless you with quality, clothing, and needs in a way if you're resourceful. And what is the fifth law of success? Resourcefulness. You need to, of course, try in this year to pay down your credit card debt. One way of doing that, of course, is to pay cash, which may be a little difficult for some of you. Dr. Meredith wrote in a personal title, Are You Prepared?, January, February 2005, Tomorrow's World Magazine. He wrote, each of us should carefully consider what lies ahead and get our own financial house in order. The first priority would be to pay off all credit card debts and all other debts we possibly can. We should also have at least the equivalent of 60 days living expense, in case of a sudden breakdown in the banking system or a similar emergency. And, you know, the tornadoes and uh, Hurricane Sandy, there were people without electricity for two or three weeks. How many of you, and I asked you this question before as a matter of survey, how many of you have enough bottled water in your house if you were unable to get water to last you one week? How many of you have enough water? Oh, good. Okay. Well, 89% of you will survive. I'm glad to hear that. The other 11% ought to get some more water. He goes on to write Also, we should generally work out a family budget that allows us over time to set aside financial resources to carry us uh, through a year or more in case of job loss, catastrophic health situations, etc. So pray for the ability to give. Set goals in 2013. There are financial goals, there are social goals, musical, environmental, educational goals. We have more than 200 uh, students in Living University now from many countries around the world. And we want to recapture true values throughout 2013. As you set those goals, the current Living Church News gives one of those true values, and it's titled... Dating a Christian Approach. So I hope all of you singles have read that article in the current January-February 2013 Living Church News. are educational goals, we want to recapture true values. And tonight in the fun show, uh, we'll see and hear true values of entertainment. Mr. Rod McNair wrote to the performers and asked them to uh, give a reason. Why should we keep uh, perform in the fun show? The purpose of the fun show, he wrote, "Uh, It's amazing how profound something as simple as an evening activity can become when we look at it from the perspective of our desire to grow as a close unified family unit, the church, Christ's body, through God's spirit, through the service which each one of us provides. So here's, I'll just read a couple of the comments uh, responding to what is the purpose of the fun show. Overall, I think we are doing this to bring a wholesome, loving, entertaining evening to our family, all to the Father's glory. I'm reminded that we should always be outward loving and giving and not inward seeking. It's amazing how the same series of events and actions can be done either way. That being said, I love seeing what you have each been inspired to give. So we'll look forward to that. Uh, probably, I don't know how many Mr. Jocks can tell us or Mr. McNair how many we have performing. Probably a good 50 or so, I imagine, in the fun show tonight. About 50? Okay. He says that's a good estimate. Another one comment. To me, the fun show is about plying true values in entertainment, putting together acts that are wholesome, edifying, and enjoyable to perform as well as to watch. Another one. To me, the fun show is about applying the true values of entertainment, putting together acts that are wholesome, edifying, and enjoyable to perform, as well as to watch. And there are some comments from the kids. So the kids said, the purpose for the fun show is to make people happy, to train and practice to use our talents, to have fun, to serve the brethren to build self-confidence, and because Mrs. Lyons makes us perform. In the... uh, we do need to set goals for 2013. There are professional goals uh, that we need to set, and we're going educationally. As Jesus said in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. So we don't want to be slothful, of course, in our work. We need to set professional goals and be able to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ and to be profitable servants. we will just read one more of uh, those uh, Calvin and Hobbes resolutions. Let's turn to Proverbs 27.23. Proverbs 27.23. If we set professional goals for 2013... Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. So are you a faithful steward? Are you diligent to know the state of your flocks and attending to your herds, your possessions? Calvin and Hobbes are walking in the snow again, and Hobbes asks Calvin about are you making any resolutions for the new year? And Calvin said, yeah, I'm resolving just to wing it and see what happens. And so Hobbes says, so you're staying the course? And Calvin says, I stick to my strengths. So he's just going to wing it. That's not the way to success. The way to success is setting goals. We have spiritual goals The greatest of goal, of course, is Matthew 6.33, to seek first the kingdom of God. And as Jesus said in John 6.63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And you know the four tools. Tools may be a a little harsher word for it, but the methods of spiritual growth, of Bible study, prayer, fasting, and meditation. And we've been exhorting you in the past year or two to be reading the Bible every day because, as Jesus said in John 15:3, now are you clean through the word that I've spoken unto you. I'll give you another test. I tested you about the matter of have you responded to the co-worker letter. Here's another test. The Sabbath began last night around 541. And so here we are, uh, hours later into the Sabbath. Don't raise your hands. But how many of you have spent at least five minutes or even two minutes reading the Word of God, the Bible, on God's holy Sabbath day? If you haven't, What do you conclude about your spiritual life, your commitment, your way of life? Are you committed to get that spiritual food daily? And as we examine ourselves for the Passover, another hard question, have you fasted since the Day of Atonement or the last church fast? Have you fasted one day since? You know, it tells us in... 1 Peter 5, to be sober, to be vigilant, because Satan goes around as a roaring lion, seeking who may devour. He says, be sober. And I find every time when I get, oh, maybe caught up in the cares of this world and all of the uh, little projects, I have like a 50-project to-do list and I can't do them all, I have to choose priorities. What is the most important of those priorities? And he says in one of the Psalms, Stand still and hear the Lord. Of course, he told that at the Red Sea as well. But we need to ask ourselves, Am I really close to God? Am I reading? Am I imbibing of the spiritual food? Though I spend at least a few minutes, and much more than that, because Jesus said, let's turn there in John, the 8th chapter, how important. The incredible, priceless gifts that we as God's people have been given. The gift of truth, to have that understanding, that revelation that billions of people in the world do not have. They are deceived, but God has opened our minds and understanding. where He says in John 8:32, "You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free." We're free from deceptions and myths unless we allow ourselves to be deceived. Let's turn to Matthew, the in, in verse 12, verse 31. If you abide in My word. You are my disciples indeed. So I hope that we all take the exhortations and make sure I need to be connected to God's revelation. I need to imbibe of his truth every day. I need to read the Bible every day. And if you have a physical Bible rather than an iPad, you're marking that Bible. I find it just so inspiring to mark the Bibles, I'm reading through the NASB right now, and, and I know exactly what I've read and what I've not read because it's it's marked as I read through the whole Bible. So God says He's given us the spirit of truth. We capture, capture true values, and we also, of course, have gone for the pearl of great price. That's Matthew 13, verse 40, or 45. I hope you're making a list of blessings from time that you thank God is... Part of your spiritual life, Matthew 13, verse 45, the parable of the pearl of great price, verse 45, Matthew 13, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. My Protestant minister, when I left the church, he said, oh, the pearl of great price. I said, yes. That's right. I found the pearl of great price. And Dr. Meredith, in his uh, behind-the-work interview, Feast of Tabernacles 2011, describes part of his initial history with the church in 1949 when he came to Ambassador College. He said in that uh, Feast of Tabernacles video, I was somewhat challenging. I came out to check up on Mr. Armstrong, and once I got there... I realized I had found the pearl of great price. One of my dear friends knew I was frustrated for the last couple years of high school trying to figure out what was going on. And after I had been to Ambassador College a year or two and came back home for a week or so during the summer, he said, Rod, whatever it is you're looking for, you found it, didn't you? You have a peace of mind. And I said... Yes, I know. I found it now. And he sensed that. He didn't understand, but he sensed that I had found what I was looking for. So, brethren, treasure the gifts that God has given you. Multiply those gifts and set goals for 2013. The final strategy is to use your spiritual power. Strategy number five, use your spiritual power. Let's turn to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Ephesians 5. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, starting with verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. There are many fools in the world, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And be not and do not be drunk with wine, which in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That's God's will for you. And He says if we ask anything according to His will, that He has the petitions that we desired of Him. Do you claim that promise and ask God to fill you with His Spirit? Be filled with the Spirit. And how does it manifest itself? Verse 19 speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you are singing. We had a joyous uh, hymn sing, uh, congregational sing uh, this afternoon. We'll, in concluding the Sabbath services, but uh, I, I noticed that some of our young people growing up Almost know all of the hymns in the hymnal by heart. And that's remarkable. But notice verse 20 giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So it's in the name of Christ. And of course, he tells us in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6 to stir up that gift. Let's turn to Colossians, the third chapter. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The word, uh, Greek word for sound mind is sophronismos, which can be rendered self-discipline as in the NRSV or NIV or discipline as in the NASB. We have a sermon number 349, The Gift of Discipline. But God has given us not the spirit of fear, but a power, and of love, and of discipline, or of a sound mind. Colossians, the third chapter. Colossians 3. We've had sermonettes on this, but I think it's remarkable when we think about your way of life, your consciousness, your spiritual alertness. Colossians 3 and verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God... Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Again, forgiveness as we approach the Passover. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And God sheds that love in our hearts, as I quoted before, Romans 5.5, by His Spirit. Verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ, which is powerful, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father Through him. So do you practice God's way of life in whatever you do? We already read Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, to acknowledge God in all his ways. But in everything you do, do you do it in the name of Christ? When you think about that, it may have quite an effect on some of your decisions. Should I, shouldn't I? Am I worldly in doing this, or am I godly in doing this? Is this a true value, or is this a false value? Am I honoring God the Father? Am I honoring Christ, honoring His name? I'm doing everything, as He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, brethren, use the spiritual power that God has given you to overcome and to meet the challenges of 2013. We will face perilous times this year and beyond, but God is training all of us as kings and priests for his kingdom. and God is blessing his work, and you are a part of that blessing. He's giving us the opportunity through life to serve and to experience the abundant life through Christ, as it says in John 10 and verse 10. We must meet the challenges of 2013 and beyond. We must be overcomers in 2013 and beyond. Today we discuss five keys or strategies to overcoming in 2013, and there are many others you'll hear during the Days of Unleavened Bread. Number one was plan ahead. Number two is learn from the lessons of 2012. Number three was confess your sins and forgive others. Number three was set, four was to set goals for 2013. Number four was set goals for 2013. Number five, use your spiritual power. In his last letter to the brethren before he died, Mr. Herbert Armstrong wrote on January 10th, 1986, regarding God's work here on earth. Continue to sacrifice through 1986, to finish the commission God has given his church. The greatest work lies yet ahead. Christ confirmed that in John 4:35, Say not you, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are white already to harvest. So brethren, in 2013, we have work to do. We have to preach the gospel as God opens the doors. We pray for more open doors. We pray for more laborers to go to the harvest, as Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38. We need to be productive. We need to be fruitful because, as he said in John 15, 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. One final scripture. Turn to Philippians, the second chapter, Philippians 2. In verse 12, Philippians 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Have that humility and the faith. But this is the encouraging promise. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. If you're weak spiritually, claim this promise. Ask God to fulfill that promise that He will work in you, even to strengthen your will to do His will and to do for His good pleasure. And remarkably, verse 14, right after that, do all things without complaining and disputing. So, brethren, as we prepare for the Passover, let's continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ to be conformed to the very nature and image of Christ. And let's rejoice in the power that God gives us to overcome through the true name of Christ. And let's look forward to the fulfillment of God's promise in Revelation 21.7. He, over- he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Let's pray for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's do the work, fulfill the commission, and be overcomers who will be with our Father in Christ for eternity.